Hello, my name is Adam Eason. Welcome to episode 121 of Hypnosis Weekly. Hello hypnosis friends and a very warm welcome to Hypnosis Weekly. Once again in my own highly biased opinion I think I have a brilliant show lined up for you today. In a short while I'm going to be sharing with you this week's interview with my guest Richard Hill. Uh, Then I'll be talking on a subject very close to my heart about the vast number of gurus uh, or or, or even fake gurus uh, that proliferate the hypnotherapy field. We then return with our professional discussion with my guest Richard Hill. Um, We'll be talking um, all about mirroring hands process, a a process that um, um, uh, Richard learned about through an extensive apprenticeship uh, uh, with his mentor, Ernest Rossi. Um, And Ernest Rossi, you know, who who, who, uh, worked very closely with Milton Erickson, um, uh, as as you are sure to know. Uh, We'll round things off with this week's hypnosis evidence-based factoid before I bid you farewell for another week. As I say at the beginning of every Hypnosis Weekly episode, uh, this podcast is something that I want to encompass a feeling of embracing diversity, celebrating the field of hypnosis and encouraging friendly, professional, enjoyable discussion and debate and doing its best to inform and educate. I do not share the same stance as most of our guests and at times have major differences in approach and leaning, but all are incredibly lovely people who I'd happily talk with until late in the pub and all of whom following their time here on Hypnosis weekly I have a great deal of respect for. If you have questions, queries, thoughts or feedback do get in touch via the Hypnosis Weekly website. All the references made in the discussions along with related links are posted in the episodes notes section at iTunes um, and on each episode's page on the website www.hypnosis-weekly.com. You can add your thoughts, comments and make any suggestions there too. Please do Share this podcast on Facebook, Twitter and anywhere else to help us reach more of the hypnosis community. It's greatly appreciated. And if you enjoy this podcast, please do go give us a favourable rating, even a review at iTunes. Um, I'll be a BFF if you do. It takes just a few seconds and a couple of clicks to give us a favourable rating um, and it helps us a great deal. Um, So first of all today is this week's interview with uh, Richard Hill, hailing from uh, all the way from Australia. Um, And this came about in in a different way to usual. Um, A a former guest on this podcast um, is Dan Jones, who spoke about his own autism and work as a hypnotherapist. Um, A few weeks ago, Dan happened to be in Bournemouth uh, um, 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 with his his wife. And um, Dan and I met up for a cup of tea and a hypnosis geek chat, whereby Dan out-geeked me by bringing a couple of seriously old collectible books for me to coo over enviously. Anyway, a couple of weeks later, Dan emailed me to say that he had attended a class here in the UK where the teacher had travelled from Australia and this man was none other than Richard Hill. Dan spoke incredibly highly of Richard and uh, recommended him. Um, 
I uh, I got in touch uh, with Richard, invited him on the show, uh, which is um, um, and, and what 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 here he is today. Um, so uh, as I mentioned briefly at the top end of today's edition, Richard, um, as you're going to find out, worked closely with Ernest Rossi, um, um, in particular with regards to Rossi's mirroring hands approach, which we're going to be speaking about later on in the show. Um, and you're going to learn much more about Richard in the early stages of this uh, this 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 interview. Um, um, I could actually see Richard throughout the time that we were speaking. He's very, very animated and very passionate about his subject, which was really lovely to see. But is then balanced by, um, uh, you know, a, a very endearing level of humility that um, um, is something that I'm going to kind of touch upon in uh, in my own section um, um, later on uh, in today's show. Anyway, let's get on with it, shall we? For now, get comfy, my friends. Turn up the volume, sip on your tea. Enjoy this week's interview. So, as I've just been discussing, I'm delighted to welcome this week's guest on the Hypnosis Weekly podcast, the one and only Mr. Richard Hill. Richard, welcome to Hypnosis Weekly. And I'm I'm very pleased to be here with you, Adam. Thank you so much for inviting me. All right, so it's it's my pleasure. So so tell us a little bit about yourself first of all. Tell us you know a, a bit about your background, how you got into this field, and how you arrived at, at where you are now. Uh, uh, well, let me see. Two answers. Uh, I suppose the first one is, oh my God, I have no idea. Uh, <laughs> but that's probably a little bit too uh, a little bit too. Uh, indistinct. It's been an interesting journey, uh, and it has been uh, a, a journey. I've come from uh, the first 25 years of my life. Uh, I was an actor. Um, I mean, I'm still an actor, but I was actually a professional actor. Yeah. Uh, uh, that my mother says I was acting in the womb. So uh, <laughs> it's, it's a lifelong uh, external expression of what's going on in my head. But I, that was just a great place to learn about human beings and about um, what is now the centerpiece of a lot of work I do, which is how to be responsive to to people, to clients, to uh, uh, to life. And uh, then in my mid-40s, uh, for various reasons, I thought um, I'm not going to be a star. A couple of really good opportunities didn't, didn't go my way. A couple of great pilots didn't get picked up. So I thought I'll go back to university. Uh, I had some, I had really good passes, but I went off to be an actor. Anyway, went to university, did arts. Took me seven years to get uh, an undergraduate degree, but I suddenly started to piece together. Oh, I know what I'm interested. I'm interested in the brain. I'm interested in the way we think. I'm interested in why we think. I'm interested in how we get to be in the states, how, how I get to be the actor, how I get to be other characters. And then I, uh, Australia's great because our government sort of supports you to get educated. So I, I did a master's degree in, um, uh, in, uh, in, in arts, what I call social ecology, the human being and the, and the world around you. Then mm -hmm. I did another one in education. And then I finally got into one on brain and mind sciences, which was a medical uh, uh, degree sort of thing. And um, so I'm I, I, I've, I've learned a heap of stuff. Uh, yeah. But I always am fascinated about how that relates to the human expression, how that relates to being human, because everything, to my way of thinking, starts and ends at the human being. 
and all our intellects and all our chatting and all our processes and all our therapies and all our hypnotherapeutic techniques are all just minor observances and um, enrichments of what's natural to us. So that's, I guess, where I am now. I, I met Ernest Rossi to, in 2005 at the Milton Erickson Conference, grabbed onto his ankle and didn't let go, <laughs> uh, which, which might have annoyed him a little bit. Uh, but eventually he got used to me and we were really, uh, he, he invited me to write a book with him last year on the mirroring hands practice, but also the way we approach these these naturalistic approaches, this sort of understanding how to think in systems, how to look at the, the, the cycles and rhythms, how to be sensitive to um, to our fellow human beings when we're working with them and just in day-to-day -day life. Uh, yeah. And uh, here I am. Yeah, yeah, I'm really excited about exploring that um, um, and asking you a bit more about that later on in the show. Yeah, um, um, yeah. Um, so, so tell me a little bit where you're at as far as hypnosis is concerned then. Um, um, it's, that, it's that really rather challenging question, I guess, for, for, for our field yeah. in general. You know, how, how, how do you define hypnosis? How have you arrived at such a definition? And, or, 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 and how do you explain hypnosis to your clients or perhaps how you explain it to people when you get cornered in the kitchen at parties? Um, um, tell me where you're at as far as hypnosis is concerned. Yes, so so looking at hypnosis, it's interesting because I didn't come to it with a, a great deal of intention. Um, it just emerged. And in fact, when we we're talking about uh, the book with Ernie, he said, actually, what we're doing is hypnosis without the hypnosis. Uh, so I guess what I'm really, I'm in the school of thought of, but also I'm in, I'm in the nature of practice of hypnosis is a natural process. Mm. Uh, now, it can be everything that is natural uh, to the individual, because we're an interpersonal species, can be assisted or induced or encouraged by interaction with another. So mm. we can all we can do almost anything, but we also can do we can also help other people do almost anything when they have difficulty. That's the nature of why we are a social species and how it works. We actually enhance each other. So uh, hypnotherapy can certainly be induced uh, by uh, a deliberate action by a person on the other. Um, but I must admit in the work that I do, I've never actually deliberately induced anybody because once I've done it, I have no idea what I'm, why I would want to do that and why I would want to do something to them. What I'm more interested in is, is uh, allowing them to move into a state of focused attention and into trance and, you know, the general waking trance of, of Erickson talked about, then into deeper trance uh, in their own time and space. And given the opportunity, they will do that. And then allow the the sorts of therapeutic uh, uh, processes that they need to engage in to emerge out of the, the the generated experience that we we have. So I've never used a script, I've never tried to cure anybody of anything, but I certainly have spent a lot of time working with people who want to cure themselves of things and helping them get into the space where it works for them. Yeah. Uh, now, hopefully that makes a bit of sense. Yeah, it does. Uh, it so, does. It's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah, so there's yeah. kind of the two schools. They're kind of the two schools. You put someone into a trance and you give them uh, some tools to enable them, which enable them because they're in this particular trance state. The other one is 
you allow a person to find all those things on their own. And just to give you a quick example, I, uh, see, I think all these therapies emerge from us. I was doing a class in Portugal uh, recently, and I looked, and the guy up the back was doing eye movement desensitization right, to himself. Yeah. Right. He didn't even know he was doing it, but it's a natural <laughs> process. Somebody else was doing a somatic particular therapy. Somebody, you could see half a dozen different types of therapeutic things that uh, uh, people do individually yeah. occurring spontaneously in the room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting, interesting. So uh, you you mentioned Ernest Rossi. Um, 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 I love the fact that you that you called him Ernie. Um, um, I love that degree of familiarity <laughs> for, for 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 someone that is such a titan within within our field. Um, do, yeah. do, do tell me more about um, um, your your major influences within this field. Perhaps even some of the books, some of the authors that have taught you the most. Um, 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 what, what teachers have been most influential upon you, and and, and why, and so on. Yeah, I, I mean certainly uh, uh, Milton Erickson. Uh, yeah. As as and what is surprising, there are a lot of people for whom Milton Erickson is of no importance whatsoever, which is interesting. So there's this is this sort of two schools type of thing that have have come out. He's either of no importance, or when they look into him, they don't get it, mm -hmm. which is fine. Uh, but Milton Erickson um, going up through. Ernest Rossi, and then I suppose so. I've been going to the uh, Milton Erickson Foundation uh, conferences every year since 2005. Mm. Uh, be it in the psychotherapy, be it in the uh, hypnosis, uh, uh, be it in um, then the evolution sort of conferences, and I've taken great interest in a lot of different uh, uh, hypnotherapeutic teachers, uh, Jeff Zeig. Uh, of course, teaching a lot about uh, Ericksonian styles and also a lot of his stuff. Uh, yeah. You know, now the current evocation styles. Michael Yapko, um, you know, looking at his investigative areas of 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 um, hypnosis. Uh, I mean, going back earlier, Jay Haley, uh, some of these these other interesting people, David Cheek, well, and and um, uh, uh, Ravitz, going back into the 70s and 80s, yeah. and I, I, there's, 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 to some extent, um, so if you looked at my work, you wouldn't see anything of Michael Yapko stuff in there. You, not a lot of Jeff Zeig, uh, not a lot of Milton Erickson, a lot of Ernest Rossi, but uh, a lot of me stepping back and what my, what Michael Yapko talks about and what Jeff Zeig talks about and what Milton Erickson talks about and what Rossi talks about and what Jay Haley talks about emerging from clients in front of you. Uh, mm. The, the the, the processes uh, are emerging. Um, so it's um, it's again this process that I came after a lot of experience in life and a lot of experience as a performer and a lot of experience as a responder. So I didn't really spend a lot of time being overly influenced or over-experimental with others. I kind of latched onto Ernie, did the mirroring hands and just said, oh, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. And, and yet I have spent a lot of time listening and focusing and learning a great deal. I watched myself in a demonstration the other day and I was doing one of the evocative sort of hand processes that the Jeff Zeig has so beautifully described, but I was doing it entirely spontaneously uh, and and, um, you know, in, in response to the needs of the client. Yeah, 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 yeah. Fascinating. I love to hear that. Um, um, th throughout the years that you've been working, 
um, um, Richard, and, and you know, th seeing clients and, and, and teaching um, worldwide as you as you do. Um, um, what what's been one of the more or one of the most impressive applications of of, of hypnosis uh, that, that that you've directly witnessed that you've encountered? Yeah, uh, I think there were. I th there's a couple of answers here. Uh, I'd like to just put in that there's a there's a, a number of psychotherapeutic demonstrations that I've seen. Yeah. That were clearly um, in the frame of hypnosis. They were clearly in the frame of people moving into forms of trance right, uh, yeah. and form and, and moving into that, which of course the. The, the psychotherapist may not have acknowledged or may not even have been aware of yeah. um, the uh, the sorts of the sorts of connections that they were making, um, and I've also seen uh, uh, some astonishing work by uh, people. Lillian Borges uh, did some amazing work with someone uh, in a different in a foreign language. You know, just just using entirely um, energetic interplay. Uh, mm. Some of the stuff that Ernie's done is, and I, yeah, I call him Ernie. He's, he's kind of like my dad. It's really great. <laughs> we're, we're really close, um, uh, as close as we can be in this the, the context of uh, the life we've had together. Um, but uh, these very, very different things emerging, and I think what it is is not so much the hypnotist that I've or the hypnotherapist that I've been impressed with, but it's the client. That I've been impressed with. Yeah, right, right. Yeah, yeah. That that, that makes a lot of sense. I think um, so, so something that becomes a bit of a recurring theme for me uh, when I when I ask that particular question to a lot of people is <clears throat> is sometimes or, or how how we sometimes almost get blasé about some of the amazing things that we see occurring on a day to day basis with people that we are working with, um, and, yeah. and and potentially overlook some of those some of those wonderful things that we are doing uh, uh, regularly you know kind of seeking something even more impressive um yeah I'm, I'm, if if we could take you back to when you started out you know within within this field um, um, um you know exploring hypnotherapy becoming a hypnosis professional of, of one kind or another knowing the things that you know now having been through the journey is there anything that you would do differently and if so what is there is there any advice that the person you are today would give that younger you that, you, that you'd extend to our listeners yes i i i'm not sure uh i i would have done anything differently and uh, and this is the context of which I make that statement because there's a whole bunch of things which I look back on and I look at myself and I say, oh my goodness, that, that, <laughs> was, that was that was amateur. That was well, that was uh, you know limited. But what what I did do, uh, and I'm I'm not quite sure how possible it is for others. I don't know the, the how to describe it. I can only just say what I did was with. Ernie, because of the nature of him, and he's, he's a very private person, he's also a very difficult person to um, to connect with uh, because he's very busy with a lot of others. Uh, I really did an apprenticeship, like years. Uh, the, I, I started the work with Ernie. I would write an email. I wouldn't write an email to Ernie until I'd found some incredible paper and I had some amazing uh, insight that I could uh, add. And I would often send these to, to Ernie and I would get back a, 
and I reply saying, yes, very good. And then 15 other papers and references and things for me to, to go and study. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then gradually over the years, the amount of, of um, additional comment reduced and only, you know, occasionally would say, wow, that's really good. I've never thought of that before. And we started to become not so much equals because there's no way I can I can equal my my darling uh, Ernie. But um, the uh, uh, we became able to just talk to each other. And over 10 years, suddenly I found myself being somebody of that I considered to be valuable to the client. Mm. Uh, And then five years later, Ernie says, let's write the book together. And I go, wow, I am actually ready now. You're, you're, you're right. This is the right timing uh, for, for me to be something. Whereas, you know, any time before that wasn't quite ready. Uh, although I probably, you know, began using mirroring hands with clients uh, within a year or so um, because I was kind of new to the whole game. I came from acting into it. So I took a couple of years to, to sort of get my feet. Um, but I'm not from the school of I'd like to have a weekend course and so that I can do something on Monday. Uh, yeah. Even when I do that now, if I do a weekend course, I'll go off and I'll, I'll research every ounce of that uh, of that course and I'll make sure that everything that I was told is has got some veracity to it and, and what the background is and where I can take it and what I can learn for it and can I grow it, can I make it something more and what's right and, and what's actually it was an error. And sometimes you find those errors uh, and, and I'm glad uh, and I think I'm wiser for that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, um, so so we, we're going to explore mirroring hands and, 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 and dig a little deeper into into this approach. Um, for, for now, though, um, Richard, where can people go to learn more about your work, your approach and so on? OK, well, there's there's uh, certainly my uh, website is is a is a great place to go, which is just richardhill.com.au because I don't know whether you noticed the accent, but I'm slightly foreign. Yeah. Uh, only slightly because we're just around the corner. Yeah. For, you know, 27 hours flight away. <laughs> I was over in England, it took forever. But so richardhill.com.au for those who want to look at me delving a little bit more academically and into some of the aspects of mind and brain and what's behind it thinking-wise, thescienceofpsychotherapy.com uh, is a great place to go and, and explore. And you have, uh, you have a, a podcast of the same title. That's right. So that's on that site and you can go and see all kinds of interesting things to advance your understanding. The, the more you know the more wonderful things spontaneously emerge from from you when you're interacting with somebody. Yeah. Uh, and, and so I'm a great believer in knowing as much as you can, but I'm not a great believer in knowing anything and everything. I'm a great believer in knowing the things that resonate strongly with you. Mm. Um, so, so uh, and I had such a good time when I was younger. I, you know, it was great. I had 20 years where I just mucked around being an actor. So actually getting down and studying really hard in my later life is, was fair enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I'm, I'm, I, I, love, I love people advocating um, um, you know, ongoing learning. Um, you know, I, I, I encounter a lot of hypnosis professionals and, and people within the field who, who, who kind of quite, quite glib 
um, or rather give me glib responses to, 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 to ongoing learning and, and, and kind of champion practical skills, um, um, which, which, which of course, you know, are, are important, of course they are. But I tend to find that, that the more we're learning, the more that, that kind of feeds and informs our practical skills and informs what we're doing with, with, with our clients. Um, mm. um, so it was lovely to hear you championing that. Um, um, yeah. so, so there will be links or that there, 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 there are links over at this episode's page of the Hypnosis uh, Weekly website to www.richardhill.com.au and the thescienceofpsychotherapy.com. Um, um, do go have a look at those. And we and will be well, back. Also, oh, yes. Sorry, just one more, of course. Yeah, ErnestRossi.com. So ErnestRossi.com. We'll yeah, put that heaps of stuff on, there if you, want to, if you want to really dive in deep. Yeah, so I'll make sure that there's a link over to that as well. We will be back with Richard Hill in just a few minutes' time. Stay tuned. I really enjoyed that. Uh, we'll have more from Richard uh, in, a, in a few minutes' time. Um, so, so this week I had the misfortune um, of, of catching a video clip of a very well-known hypnotherapist being interviewed by another lesser-known hypnotherapist. And I was struck by the astonishing, vacuous comments that this person was spouting, delivered in this kind of guru-like tone of arrogance and superiority while dispensing such profound insight and knowledge. Uh, you know, I'm being sarcastic there. You have to excuse me. Um, and th this person seems to be, to, you know, to me, to be dispensing meaningless drivel and was making, you know, unsubstantiated claims that were masquerading as profound truths. While in reality, the video, you know, it, it was promoting fantasy and pseudoscience at best. And, and, it, and it compelled me to want to speak on this subject. Um, let me let me kind of frame this and offer up my agenda as far as this is concerned, you know, because um, I admit that I was a little bit late to the party. Um, but a friend of mine, um, um, thank you, Mr. Nick Ebden, suggested that I watch a Netflix documentary um, um, a while back. Um, and it's titled Wild Wild Country. And within it, followers of the innovative guru Bhagwan Sri Rajnes, um, um, also known as Osho, um, discover that guns, poisoning and intimidation were used in their teacher's name and many ended up feeling bewildered and lost. Um, over the years, some of the central themes in this documentary um, series uh, uh, have fascinated me. Um, and they continue to do so because I see so many of these such themes within within the, the, the field of hypnotherapy, albeit to a, a lesser extent. And of course, involving far less gun toting. Um, or, you know, the image of gun toting hypnotherapists is as hilarious as it is terrifying, I think. Anyway, I've read and watched a lot about the horrific Jonestown massacre, for example, which had several similar themes to the Wild Wild Country documentary. Much is still misunderstood about Jonestown, in particular the fact that despite some describing Jim Jones's followers as being blindly devoted, that they'd willingly drink Kool-Aid laced with cyanide, um, in fact, and by the way, it was actually grape flavour aid, um, most of Jonestown's residences, uh, residents were, were, were victims of mass homicide, not, not group suicide. Because in addition to the hundreds of children, many of Jones's victims were either elderly or parents who had nothing left after the minister had cruelly decreed, backed by machine gun toting security thugs, that kids must drink first. 
Other victims were shot trying to flee. Um, only a handful went to their deaths willingly. Nearly all had experienced a horrendous betrayal of trust and perverted ideals from their disciples of Christ minister turned cult leader. And properly understood, the experiences of Jonestown and those depicted within the Netflix documentary Wild Wild Country offer much for us to learn from, especially at a seemingly saner and more sober level. There are certain milder issues within the hypnotherapy field and related fields that Osho and Jim Jones, for example, I, I, I mean, issues with, with, with false leaders and gurus often lurk within the, the mostly benign fields such as hypnotherapy and self-help areas and, and do need watching out for. You know, in particular, in my classes, I often cite such spiritual gurus, in inverted commas, such as people like David Avocado Wolf and perhaps um, none more famous than Deepak Chopra. Um, um, to any person steeped in an ethos of reason, science and logic, much of the kind of new age proclamations made by Chopra and Wolf seem like nonsensical gibberish. And yet to millions of people, these men are holders of universal truths that lie below the, the vulgar realm of mere material reality. You see, Chopra, Wolf and their ilk have access to the deeper spiritual truths that plebeian scientific schmucks such as myself can never understand, um, as was explained to me on a Facebook thread uh, a little while back. A few life coaches, um, for example, that are eager to copycat um, Tony Robbins and build empires of their own, have also devised incredibly, incredibly busy appearance schedules and developed their own brand of over-the-top methods to deliver breakthroughs to workshop attendees. I mean, if you go and Google James Ray, um, he was a best-selling author, a former telemarketer and internal trainer with AT&T, who conducted a brutal Arizona sweat lodge back in in 2009 that led to multiple injuries and the deaths of three participants, two from heat stroke and one from heat-related organ failure. And Ray was convicted of three counts of negligent homicide in November 2011 and sentenced to two years in prison. Um, known for a tough presentation style, um, the former marketer travelled the US and beyond, delivering talks, seminars, weekend and week-long empowerment programmes. And like I said, in 2009, um, October 2009, 56 participants joined him at a lodge in the Sedona Desert for a week-long retreat, his Spiritual Warrior programme. And the two-hour sweat lodge there devolved into a nightmarish ordeal as many participants threw up, passed out or struggled, while Ray admonished them to stick it out for the sake of personal growth. Two people died at the scene and another later passed away at the hospital. You know, if you, if you go on to examine the work of self-help pioneers such as Napoleon Hill or Norman Vincent Peale, who also attracted millions of people with promises of self-development, you learn that their methods were private, contemplative and oriented towards personal illumination. Intense and public displays were never really part of their programmes. So how can we discern the differences? How do we know which self-help gurus are the good guys? Um, um, when there are so many leaders in these fields, who are the ones to engage with? All, all areas of self-help and um, personal development, as well as the field of hypnotherapy, has its leaders. Some of them need to come with a warning 
in my opinion. Um, in the field of hypnotherapy, many seem to be easily seduced by such leaders. And you know, I've been up close with many of these leaders within the hypnotherapy field. You see some, um, and I've encountered, or some at least seem wonderfully ethical and professional. Um, almost all of them are powerful, charismatic people with tremendous hearts and minds. And when you see them away from the spotlight, away from the crowds, when you speak to them with their guards down, they're often completely different to the way they're perceived by the field in general. You know, human, fallible, and sometimes just as brilliant. But on occasion, terrifyingly incongruent, disingenuous. And it sometimes troubled me that such people are so highly revered and have a seeming unquestioned authority. In fact, many such people have taken swipes at me for asking questions and raising so many of the points that I do, you know, in my articles, during my lectures, uh, on my YouTube channel, as well as here on this, uh, this podcast. I've encountered some, some threats too, some derogatory comments in real life and online. And those of you that follow my work will see that happening quite regularly online when I raise questions or promote critical thinking and scrutiny of certain protocols, approaches, or if I question the status quo and the ongoing received wisdom that perpetuates this field. So I thought I'd share some of where my experience has taken me and help those within this field to see through some of the leaders um, and, and, and some of the loud voices and to help you sift through uh, those who will genuinely help you develop your career, who will advance your education, who will develop this field and those who do other things altogether. Um, I wanted to give a kind of guide. Because, you know, and, and, well, my first point is that when you're exploring the path as a hypnotherapist that contains leaders and purveyors who might be considered advantage takers, occasional frauds, and some of whom call themselves teachers, you've got to arm yourself with one vital question. You know, does this person deserve my trust? Your personal and professional search must be consensual and voluntary or it's nothing at all. You must never relinquish power to that person. You must never be shouted down. Your dissenting perspective must never be muffled. In particular, beware of those inconsistent and segmented messages from leaders, you know, along with the sudden um, unaccountable changes in mood and behaviour, for example. Make sure that deeds and ideals match. Now, is this person congruent? That is, do they behave in the way that they promote idealistically? I mean, you know, many talk about harmony, yet communicate with disharmony. Many talk about effective communication, yet don't seem to be very, very good communicators. Some even support evidence, but don't practice that. What do their motivations seem to be? Do they say that they'd like to develop the hypnotherapy field, raise standards and genuinely advance the lives and well-being of your clients? Or are they motivated by kudos and fame, power and influence? Perhaps this person preaches tolerance and compassion, yet holds grudges and does not easily forgive. You see, if I was going to set myself up as a true guru, I'd need to believe my own crap. There's no room for being disingenuous, as so many of them are. Those that are, are easy to spot. The ones that are harder to spot, believe in what they say and do. You need to be charismatic and self-confident in your delivery and perhaps deceive yourself as to the veracity of your words. In the immortal words of George Costanza, one of the, the central characters of the classic sitcom Seinfeld, Jerry, just remember, it's not a lie if you believe it. 
So, you know, I'm joking in tone, but it's true for us. We need to look deeper into what our leaders are saying sometimes, in particular because so much funny language gets used. You know, how many hypnotherapy leaders quote neuroscience? And if you actually went and explored what they say, you, you know, you'd realise how much nonsense was being spoken under this kind of thin veil of, of neuroscience. Um, so many leaders have so much verbiage that appears profound, yet it's pretty much meaningless. People will attribute their inability to understand your sentences to their own failings rather than the leader being false. So the more unscrupulous leaders very often play the enemy card to manipulate followers. You know, there's a number of popular hypnotherapy teachers out there who chronically pit their followers against mainstream institutions, against academia, against science, against conventional medicine, without demonstrating any real or honest understanding of those things. I, reckon, I recommend that you always be on alert for the demonization of other authority figures or organizations. What might be someone's motivation for decrying academia or science or trying to shout over or scare off someone asking questions of that approach? Why might someone be anti-establishment in terms of conventional medicine or hypnotherapy associations, which you know, may be trying to advance the field? I mean, agreeably, not all. But why might some not wish to toe some of those lines? You know, I insist that my own students, graduates and supporters question what I do and say and that they learn the dissenting perspectives which are offered up. You know, that they benefit from them and carve out an effective path for themselves, not just to be obedient to a particular way. You know, I'd also be inclined to question my motives for, for, for saying this here today. You know, I, I, you know, I have a vision for the field that I seek to impress upon those who watch my videos, read my articles, listen to my podcast. And of course, I have a degree of bias as far as that is concerned. My next point is that real teachers and, and ethical leaders don't inflate themselves with false stats, crowd sizes or overpopularity. You know, I, I had to reject some of the speaker applications submitted for this year's UK Hypnosis Convention because they made unsubstantiated claims. In their bios, they put, you know, John Smith is the most successful hypnotherapist in XYZ land. Or they'd state that they were the most popular presenter at other events. Or state that they were world-renowned when, when I'd not heard of them. Or they'd state that they earned a certain amount of money without being able to support that. Why the need to state how many people attend your classes or groups? It's a classic appeal to popularity to try to make oneself be perceived as more credible. We see it online in particular, falsified or exaggerated professional successes, stating how many thousands of people they've worked with, inflating figures or lying about how much money they earn and the methods by which they do so, inventing testimonials, lying about qualifications, inventing aspects of their life history and backstory, and doing so in an attempt to make themselves look better. But it's a dishonest account, and when you check up on certain claims, they're often found to be false. If you're ever unsure about claims people are making, go and verify them, or ask that person to verify them. And if they get defensive about this, which is, you know, it's a basic right of yours to ask, then maybe they have something to hide. Then there's the problem of peer pressure. 
You know, many people agree or fall in line because their personal and professional peers behave a certain way or a particular way. It's, it's easy to see sense in a course of action if others are doing the same. I spoke about this um, um, a little while ago, this idea about us being a voice rather than an echo. Many seek the safety of, uh, of following a particular leader in the field because so many others do the same. This can end up becoming sycophantic if you're not careful. Sometimes those who offer up resistance have the resistance reframed as something which will help them develop, which perhaps is the case on, on occasion. But it becomes harder to question any peer pressure if it's involved you spending money along the way. You know, you're invested in that leader and that approach then and it becomes much harder to break away from your beliefs which are also invested. Peer pressure gets exaggerated by the creation of communities around that leader and that approach, all duly supporting um, um, the approach. You know, it becomes very tough to offer up dissenting perspectives or break away happily from such a, a family with its ties. Collusive factors such as financial commitment, deference from the leader and peer pressure often get compounded by these earlier mentioned common enemies and you have a recipe for loyal blind following and you can see these mechanisms occur in many a Facebook group for example. Never assume that a teacher or a leader knows better than you. Of course you are investing in their expertise and their professional knowledge. You know, I've been on NLP courses whereby assistants who'd been entrusted with working with groups of attendees during exercises, you know, ending up being perceived as experts or people who had held entry keys to a value belief system or or a set of answers. But this was not necessarily the case. Likewise, I'm, you know, I'm aware that I, you know, I have a handful of followers. Uh, you know, though one of them is my wife, another is my is is my mum. So you know, my, my my numbers are modest. But I've become aware that that when seeking development, success, education, and training, we often and unknowingly collude in a kind of theatre. You know, a therapist, a trainer, a guru or guide appears as a figure of natural authority to whom we become a convert. Indeed, many hypnotherapists, often unaware, set up and revel in that paradigm. Do not buy into it. Your guide, your teacher is often just as uncertain as you are. I know I am. And I want you to know that. I think that is that, that it's valuable, though, and knowing your teacher is fallible and open ought to be a strength. You know, at least in my opinion, it's, it's a strength. Some of the traits and points that I've made, uh, that I've been making here today, um, you know, may even remind you of a current White House occupant or some of the populist leaders of the political madness we have in the, you know, in the UK here currently. Um, you know, they are magnified and they seem more overt in those instances. But you see the same mechanisms happening all around us in the hypnotherapy field. So, you know, finally, I recommend that in addition to thinking critically, in addition to recognising your own cognitive bias towards those leaders that you follow and believe in, that you do also trust yourself. You know, trust yourself enough to apply aggressive common sense. Always be prepared to speak up for yourself and to ask the important questions. A mentor of mine, major philosopher in the world uh, today, um, I'm a pr previous guest on this podcast in fact, um, he once said to me that, and I'll quote, a real esoteric group is very difficult to find and very easy to fall out of. 
Um, a fake group is just the opposite. You know, make that your gauge. When you discover and wield effective judgment, you're much more likely to discover what you came looking for in the first place. Um, that's it. You know, I, I hope there's something of, of, of you know, something useful uh, in there for you and that you find stimulating. Okay, let's move on. Next up, we have this week's um, professional discussion. And, and I welcome back um, Richard Hill. And we're talking all things mirroring hands. And I think you're going to find this uh, um, fascinating. Um, so let, let, let's just get straight on with it. Here is this week's professional discussion with Richard Hill. Enjoy. So I'm rejoined uh, with this week's guest, uh, Richard Hill. And uh, we're going to be talking all things mirroring hands, a mirroring hands process. And um, um, I think that probably the, 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 the best opening gambit for me to ask Richard and for Richard to share with us, for, for people that, that are unaware, um, um, such, such as myself, for example, I've just been saying off air to Richard that, that I know very little about this um, and, I, and I'm excited to learn more. Um, 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 Richard, perhaps you can just tell us what, what it is. What, what, what is it? What are we talking about here when we're talking mirroring hands? It's a it's really a good question because mirroring hands is, is sort of a generic term that's just emerged over time and uh, to some degree describes the process. But in, an, in another way, it doesn't. So when you say mirroring hands or well, what am I doing, holding my hands in a mirror, if I got them, you know, are they together? But mirroring hands really just emerged out of the process way back with Mesmer, you know, the two hands coming together and can you feel the magnetic energy between the two hands? Uh, and uh, what was really interesting was that Ernie uh, one day that used to say, can you feel the hands and can you feel the magnetism pulling the hands together or pushing the hands apart to see if they were, you know, good, good subjects? And uh, Ernie said one day, I just forgot to say magnetism and people's hands did stuff anyway. Uh, mm. So that was really interesting. He said, oh, my God, that people just have this reaction. And the second thing was that there were two major processes back in the 70s and 80s, uh, which was um, the, uh, the psycho, uh, the, the, um, the idiomotor movements of, of cheek, which is, you know, the, the raising the finger, the yes, no fingers. Uh, and also the hand levitation uh, process that Ericsson was 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 quite renowned for. And I find it fascinating to talk to someone who was there because Ernie says, well, you know, it just didn't work all the time. And sometimes it didn't work for Ericsson at all. And you go, oh, my God, it didn't work for Ericsson. He, and, <laughs> no, it, these are just people, you know. And uh, so but Ernie said, if if I and I realize that the hands have this interaction anyway, so I don't need to press them for it. And if I actually ask somebody to put to, to find a focus on their hands, that uh, that becomes really easy. And if I ask someone to get some sense of one hand being different than the other, he said, just about everybody could do that. And if I ask whether that hand might like to receive something that's going on within them, be it a problem, be it a, uh, a, a some issue they're trying to resolve, uh, will that hand receive it? That pretty much everybody was able to do this. So it became almost uh, a, a fail-safe method of induction uh, 
because it was self-induction and it was uh, it was self-induction it wasn't re- wasn't mm. requiring the client to do anything uh, to satisfy the therapist's demands and only did something quite extraordinary again which was almost by accident there was what uh, one of the things was i can't remember what um Erickson called it, but we call it the basic accessing question. And what Erickson would say uh, is when uh, you are ready to proceed with uh, uh, deepening the trance or working with this inner part of yourself, your hand will gently rise or your hand will fall. Mm. All Ernie said was one day, will your hand gently rise or will it fall? And just shifting it from you will, meaning a suggestion or even a directive from the therapist, to will it, to being a curiosity of the therapist, everything changed. And that is the, the key change. There are, there are two or three key changes uh, to the whole process and things that are important. We use the hands because they become externalizing receivers of information that are actually very strongly represented in our our awareness. I mean, we know this because uh, there's a huge amount of the motor cortex and the sensory motor cortex that are are to do with the hands. So in the homunculus of our brain states, the hands are huge and the lips are huge. So the hands are really, they are naturally very present elements in our appreciation. If it, and if you just mm. sort of wiggle your hands around each other, you can even just playing now, if they're listening, you just wiggle, you can sort of feel even just the heat energy between the hands. But you do that with your elbows, there's really nothing because it's not happening. So the hands become uh, a easy, natural receiver and interactor with you. They're also something that you can move around in your space with some degree of control this is really important as as well in the in the process when we talk about mirroring hands we talk about the the opposite of the reflection of sort of the alice in wonderland you know through the looking glass Mm. so it's extraordinary how easy it is to put the pain the anxiety the smoking habit the the trauma in one hand and move that away from the body away from the self and then i wonder what goes in the other hand well, of course, it is everything that's not the pain. It's not the trauma. It's a, perhaps it's the strengths. Perhaps it's the resilience. Perhaps it's the ideas that they haven't been able to think of because they've been so overwhelmed by uh, these other aspects of the problem. Um, if you're doing something as mundane as, as I know smoking is a huge thing in, in therapy, you'd put, here's everything about why I smoke and why I like smoking, why I keep smoking. Now let's get it out of the way. And on the other hand, let's look at all the ways that you will help yourself stop smoking, that you know you will stop smoking with, and we get rid of one and keep the other. Uh, mm. And it's it's that's a you know we're oversimplifying because we're only talking in, in seconds. Yeah. So this process of utilizing uh, an externalizing frame because we don't want to uh, damage ourselves again with re-traumatizing, re-traumatization and things. Yeah. Um, I'm a part of the body that is naturally uh, prominent. And then we utilize the very, very simple forms of focused attention, uh, a response, a dynamic and uh, idiodynamic response, be it movement or feeling or sensation. Yeah. And this is all 
oriented by uh, a state of a sense of curiosity. Mm. That's the key ingredient to be genuinely interested in what the what the client is going to do. Uh, and this changes the frame from being doing things that help the client do what they have to do. If you just are genuinely interested in the client doing what they need to do, almost all the time that I've experienced in, in more than a decade is that they will. Yeah, 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 right. I, I, I get that. that you know, I, I find that fascinating. Um, um, so, so, so if we can just take a, a very slight step back, because I, one of the things we, we, we mentioned briefly off air was I said, you know, that, that, I, that I was interested in, in, in if there was a kind of philosophy about it. And and um, but 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 I was I was concerned that that might that might sort of highlight my own ignorance about this subject. But you said um, um, that, 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 that no, actually, that, that that's quite pertinent. Perhaps yeah. perhaps um, um, you, you could explain a little bit about that, you know, the, the, the philosophy of this approach. Um, I mean, you know, obviously, you, you started to allude to, to, to several of those several areas within within your previous description. Um, um, yeah. yeah, perhaps you could expand upon that. So there's let's see if I can clarify that or get not clarify, but keep them clear. Now, one of the first and most important uh, aspects, which I think mirroring hands achieves as successfully or more successfully than most things, uh, it's certainly successfully enough so that I really don't find myself needing to do anything else much, yeah. uh, is the Erickson statement that the true nature of the therapist is to step back from the experience and to actually shift the burden or the activity, you know, the effort of effective therapy back to the client. Yeah. It's it's the client's task. So that's the first thing is is allowing that to occur. The other one is that that is useless if the client is not in a state of being that is conducive to therapeutic um, behavior. So people come in 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 trouble. Um, Sometimes people are okay and you really just need to do something very simple with them. But of course, I deal more with a, the psychotherapeutic hypnosis type of work. Uh, so I get people in at, at sort of the, the slightly more unpleasant and difficult um, problems in life. And uh, so the, the, the essence of, of what we're trying to do there is bring them from what is a disrupting type of consciousness where everything's a problem and everything that comes in to fix the problem just just gets breaks it again and the whole consciousness is out of whack and you've got to move it into what really we call a therapeutic uh, consciousness now ideally what we want is an integrating consciousness where everything that comes in gets integrated and moves us and maintains our progression uh, towards well-being so this is predicate so here's a third predication is that given the appropriate circumstances the human body will move towards well-being Mm. Uh, it'll do it within its immune system. It'll do it with its gene expression. It'll do it uh, with its um, uh, gut biota processes. And we must have, uh, although we aren't necessarily able to describe it with a great deal of exactness, a mental health immune system, well-being system, uh, because fundamentally we survive. We need to be healthy. We need to have a good functioning body and we need to be decent human beings if we're going to reproduce and maintain as a species. And we seem to have done that quite well. So there's three elements of the philosophical uh, 
perspective when you're mm. looking at at uh, at that frame. And the single, uh, the, the, which is really the work I've been doing, is how effective curiosity, opening up a curiosity, curious frame of mind, quickly shifts someone into this therapeutic state because it changes their focus and it alters the sorts of things that emerge in their experience. So curiosity is really important. And the fourth thing is that we need to appreciate that the reason why we have so many problems is because we've moved away from what is natural for us. So we're trying to compensate for the, the disparity between who we really should be in the in a, about 20 or 30,000 years ago, maybe 40, and who we are now in this weird world. So we're not going to get back to nature because we're not. We've just got – it's too easy to have a sausage roll and, and, and a pie and drive in a car. But if we can return to a sense of naturalness in the way we approach our understanding of what people are doing, and that's the natural cycles and natural rhythms uh, and the natural processes that occur and how to best enhance those. Of course, we talk about this at length, and there are several of them which are really powerful, but too long to go into now. But there's four principal uh, approaches which we do while we're working with the hands, but actually I suggest that we do while we're working with anything. Any yeah. therapy at all is enhanced by utilizing these processes because it all leads to what we call a client responsive state mm. uh, of 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 uh, relational engagement. Yeah, yeah. You know, there, there, there was so much in there for me to comment upon and, and speak about. Uh, one of the things, my, my wife and I um, have, have a really big interest in, in, in the development and nurturing attachments um, um, within children. Um, um, and, and something that a lot of people don't realize and don't know about Milton Erickson is that he greatly influenced um, um, a lot of the, the psychotherapeutic approaches to, to, to the development of attachment. Um, a man, uh, uh, quite a major author um, in this area, um, uh, a man called Dan Hughes, uh, was, was massively influenced by, by Milton Erickson. And um, um, Dan Hughes's model, uh, which was which was influenced by the work of uh, of, of Ericsson was called a pace model, which is a, a kind of therapeutic parenting model about uh, being a pace p a c e be, being playful, being being accepting, being curious. I mentioned curious because that's that that, that that's the thing that you mentioned um, um so much there and, and having empathy. And um, what's always really interesting is that uh, Dan Hughes and and other people with with regards to this say. Don't just make this. Don't just use pace as as a parenting approach. Use it as 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 a, a, a marriage approach. Use it as a friendship developing approach. You know, and, and adopt this curiosity um, and, and empathy and 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 playfulness and so on. You know, in, in all areas of your life. And it's something that that, that I couldn't keep out of my therapy rooms as a result. Um, um, and and so it, it, you know, I had this big smile on my face when you were talking about adopting this attitude of curiosity in particular um, um, as, as a really lovely underriding, uh, underlying, uh, underlying element of the philosophy. Um, um, Richard, tell me then, um, um, is, 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 are all of your mirroring hands sessions, are they, are they wholly content free or do you get to, do you get to discuss any of the details or, or are they content free? If, if you'll excuse my, my, my sort of terms that, that I, you know, I'm no expert kind of thing. 
No, no, they're great because because these are the terms that are out there, and uh, and I've had a chance uh, before speaking with you over the last uh, you know year or so to think about these 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 concepts. Now, content free, uh, when people are talking about that, really is a term that exists because therapists um, have come through an experience and a, a training program and a, a, a style of having content-rich therapeutic approaches, meaning yeah. that the thera it's, it's therapist-centered. The therapist brings the content uh, to the client and the client, uh, admitted, utilizes the, the content. Uh, and, and I know that there's a, there's a lot of great personal work, but I also know there's a lot of work that just uh, um, is, is therapist-driven. So I don't, to me, I can work with a client without knowing anything about what they're doing. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I can sit there and say, put whatever it is that is concerning you in one hand and receive that and work with the other one. But it's, but it's not content free. It's content rich. It's just that I don't know what the content is. Right. Yes. But the client does. So when you're in a client responsive, when you're using a client responsive approach, uh, there's there's no such thing as the the term content free in relation to the therapist uh, doesn't exist because the therapist isn't the one who requires the content. The uh, the uh, so my content when I when I go to a, a client is two decades of uh, knowledge and experience. Uh, and uh, assistance so they can borrow my brain and borrow all those elements going on within. The content then that is put into the therapy is entirely up to the client uh, mm. for what they need. One of, the, one of the beautiful things that we say in Mirroring Hands when, when we're working with a client uh, sometimes is just say, I wonder if there's a word or two you would like to share with me or if you would just like to continue the work privately. Right. And I've had clients begin to talk. I've had clients come out of, you know, open their eyes, look at me, give a long dissertation and then close their eyes and go back in a trance and go back to the work. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, I've also had clients put their fingers, you know, their finger to their lips, you know, shush. Uh, I've had them brush me away, uh, you know, with some <laughs> kind of flickering thing. Um, and, the, so I know what they mean by content free, but in mirroring hands, it's a content rich environment, but the content is not dependent upon the, what the therapist brings, but what the client is working on and brings and they can choose to share or not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and I, I'm guessing, please correct me if I'm, if I'm incorrect here, um, um, that, that some of the content obviously that therefore gets represented by some of the idiodynamic movements of the hands. Well, I know uh, from a therapist's point of view, I know they're working. Uh, and certainly sometimes you can see, see the, 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 the framework. Like for example, we had uh, a, a beautiful one uh, recently, uh, a demonstration in a, in a course. So it's one I can easily talk about. The uh, because of uh, you know the, the the client is not a client is worried although they were a client so I've got to be careful. But what she did was she had a she had an eating problem she had a bulimic type of problem eating and purging, mm. 
And uh, she said, it, it really is annoying me. So we went, we did the focus of tension. And there is a little induction that you can use with mirroring hands if needs be. But yeah. most often when you get on, people self-induce and they're, they're saying, I've got this and I've got that. And so you're instantly into it. But I said, well, let's, I wonder which hand wants to receive that eating problem, whatever it is. And anyway, the hand then started to do things. She went into a nice uh, trance and then she chose to go. You could see the natural deepenings that we usually encourage people to do, but she was doing them all spontaneously. And she took herself to a point and the hand began to move and change its shape. And I asked, is there a word or two that you could share? And uh, possibly because we were in the teaching situation, there was a, a sense that that sharing was a very useful thing, and I was very grateful that she did. And she said, "Yes, I've got the, I've got the, uh, the eating habit out there, and it's just, it's just benign and stuck to me." Mm. Anyway, right? And then, then we, that's it. She had nothing more to say. She was working. The hand was moving. It began to do some, sh some movement, and there were movements on her face. She was doing various changes in her breathing. Her body was shifting. She was working. So what's the point of me saying, oh, you should now go and do this process or you should go to that process. She was working. And I said, what's the other hand? I gave her at a point it seemed appropriate. So we sent to the other hand and she went, ah, yes. Ah, oh, yeah, ah, oh, yeah. Now, what was she doing? I don't know. Yeah. What was would have been appropriate for me to say, oh, tell me what's happening. Well, wouldn't that have just interfered with the goddamn experience? Um, <laughs> yeah. And so she was doing that. And then her other hand, while she was focusing on the hand of strengths, her other hand was just quietly moving down uh, her side until it reached her side. And then she suddenly went, oh, because she noticed her hand had moved down because it had happened uh, out of her awareness. And she just let open her hand and said, oh, my God, it's gone. And then she took these this other hand with the strength and she placed it on her body around around her heart area and she said thank you very much that's wonderful i'll tell you what happens tomorrow and she came back tomorrow and she said you know i haven't had any any of the urges at all uh since since yesterday so the process was occurring before my face i could see there was stuff happening so i allowed it to occur, occur. Sometimes if it looks as though something's stalled or it's weird or they're getting bored or it's all weird, I'll just ask, is there something, you know, is there a word or two you want to share? Uh, but mostly if when people are ready, when they finish working, they'll almost spontaneously come out and say, oh, that'll do. Yeah, that's great. Uh, wow, yeah. And, and is that is that level of level of brevity of the treatment, um, um, for want of a better term, um, um, is that, is, is it, are things typically that brief? Um, I, 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 or, or you know, do, do people come back because there's there's th 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 there's some kind of precipitate or something something left that there needs to be dealt with similarly? And that's the way I work. That the, the there's always there's always the opportunity for another session, but I always treat each session as though it will be the last session. Right. Uh, yeah. So you know, would you like to do some more work on that? Well, I would actually. Or would you like to give me a call in a day or two and tell me how that's gone uh, and uh, and I'll pencil in a session for you or do something. You know, I've got my own processes that, that, that make that work. Uh, now, for example, I've got a client 
uh, and we don't always work with mirroring hands, of course, too. Someone might, um, through mirroring hands, as a, a, a client that I've had recently, through mirroring hands, we realized that her strongest uh, uh, therapeutic mechanism was through visual images, visualizing images. Mm. So we would use the hands every now and again if we were having trouble visualizing an image. Let's put the difficulty of trouble of visualizing the image in one hand and now let's put the image in the other and she'd go, oh good, okay, I've got it. And away we'd go. Now with her, every session is the last session. We've made about 12 major breakthroughs, peeling away the onion, uh, the onion skin down to the core. And altogether, it's been 20, 27 sessions. And sometimes it'll be two months between seeing her. And she'll say, oh, now something's come up. Uh, I need your um, engagement. I need this. And then she'll go off and build on that. So um, I'm, I'm not an advocate for fixed groups of sessions. Uh, and I'm not an advocate for saying, you're fixed, go away. I'm yeah. an advocate for what if, for achieving something in in a single session, and then inviting the possibilities uh, for future sessions, or or not. Yeah. Uh, and I had one where we, we actually it was a business guy. He wanted to book three sessions. I said, okay, we book three sessions. We did the first session. He had amazing breakthrough. He rang me up three days later, and he said, you know, everything I wanted change has changed. Um, do you mind if we don't do the other sessions? And uh, fortunately, I'm of a uh, economic uh, sense that I don't worry about those sorts of things. So I said that's fine. Um, so, I, but other people I know have different uh, economic needs. So I'm not, I'm not wanting to impose any ideas on people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I could just go on uh, asking you stuff and asking you stuff <laughs> uh, uh, because you know I, I I find this a really compelling a really compelling subject and and um 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 but you know we 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 have time constraints here on the podcast yeah uh, 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 yeah. sadly sadly um, um i'll have to invite you to come back so if people want to if people want to learn more about mirroring hands i know you've got a you've got a section and a page on um the richardhill.com.au website i think it's forward slash mirroring hyphen hands is that correct yeah yeah so if they just go to the the uh, the main uh, the home page on the left hand side if you scroll down a little bit there's the mirroring hands side the other side's the science of psychotherapy you can scroll down further and find fun stuff uh, other fun stuff but if you go to that that'll take you to uh, a, a lot of the things and you know the introductory chapter I must say that the best way to get an insight into them to what we're doing is the book, um, which is the Practitioner's Guide to Mirroring Hands by Richard Hill and Ernest Rossi, uh, and it, it it'll take you through. What we do is we do a sort of a theoretical chapter, and then from that emerges a, an aspect of mirroring hands, and then there's another bit of theory that you need or or a uh, a philosophical understanding, and from that emerges a deeper uh, thing. So it's a generative um, process, and suddenly at the end, you find that you're right at the the the, the full experience of uh, of being able to improvise and experiment and and practice. So there's uh, so there's an emerging frame there, and it's in a book form, but it's also in PDF in ebook form, but it's also an audio book too. So if you're not too bored with me yabbering away now uh and you could put up with a few hours of me that's a nice way of doing it so yeah that's a really good way 
to um, to to get a grasp of this. I will I will be putting together an online program uh, that will look at the philosophy and the theory and so, some of the experiential nature of it. But I, as you're saying, I travel around the world, uh, and the, the 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 very best way is to be face to face and and doing it in a workshop. But I think if you piece these together, an online experience of learning the background, a book, the book which which gives you that background, and then eventually attending uh, a, a workshop, you're going to be in pretty good shape. Brilliant, brilliant. And and there there, there is direction with with and and uh, insight with with regards to all of those different forms of media over at the website. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. The, the online stuff is um, I'm still building it because uh, creating it. So uh, that'll be another couple of months, I suppose. But we uh, I just wanted to make sure I knew what the hell I was talking about. Surprising. <laughs> yeah. I, I do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I, absolutely. You do. I think it's it's plain um, um, to see that, that absolutely you do. And, and thank you so much for for sharing and being so generous uh, uh, with your time and with with the information here today. Uh, Richard Hill, thank you. Thank you very much. I really enjoyed that. Um, he's an incredibly lovely man, Richard, and um, I'm in the process of attempting to persuade him to travel over to the UK next year to come to the, the UK Hypnosis Convention and come and, come and teach on some of his subject. Um, fingers crossed for that. Um, so this week's evidence-based hypnosis factoid. Uh, the fact of the week is this, that um, pre-operative use of hypnosis decreases intraoperative uh, um, remifantil requirements and post-operative pain. Now, so I was um, I was struggling a bit with the with the pronunciation of the drug, um, but in short, um, um, use of hypnosis prior to to surgery reduced requirements and um, reduced requirements for the analgesia as well as post-operative pain in those undergoing rhinoplasty. That uh, is a nose job for those uh, less aware of the the the, the lengthy word. So this was a, a randomized controlled study that um, investigated the effects of pre-operative hypnosis on hemorrhage and pain in open septorhinoplasty. Okay, so um, um, Osgune and uh, colleagues, uh, earlier this year this paper was published, so it's very recent, um, um, patients undergoing the septorhinoplasty, you know, having a nose job um, under general anesthesia were included and they were equally divided into two groups. Patients in the hypnosis group uh, received a total of three sessions of hypnosis. The first two occurred three days uh, prior to surgery um, um, and, and one day prior to surgery. And then the, the, the last session was in the hospital of the, on the day of the surgery. Um, um, and compared with the control group who, who, who had no hypnosis, the, the hypnosis group's um, intraoperative use of the analgesia, which was the um, um, remifentanil, uh, and um, yeah, the, the, the requirement for that was significantly lower. You know, statistically, um, um, it was significantly lower. Um, um, so, so perioperative use of hypnosis decreased the requirements for that, but also decreased um, um, the post-operative pain uh, that was uh, registered 
both um, 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 in, in, in the hours after after the surgery and uh, uh, w w with some good follow-up period of time. So there you have it. Um, um, Pre-operative use of hypnosis decreased intraoperative uh, uh, anesthesia requirements and post-operative pain. So good news for anybody seeking a nose job. Uh, hypnosis could help you along the way. Um, um, so that's it. there's a link to the to the research paper that's included on this episode's page of the Hypnosis Weekly website and in the, in the notes at iTunes. Um, if you follow me on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, you can find masses of memes relating to a variety of studies whereby hypnosis has been examined. That's it for our 121st edition. I hope you enjoyed it. I've got many exciting guests that I'm going to be welcoming uh, to Hypnosis Weekly in coming editions. We'll be discussing, debating, celebrating, and above all, remaining friends. All the references made in the discussions, along with related links, are posted at each episode uh, on the Hypnosis Weekly website, www.hypnosis-weekly.com. I always welcome your thoughts, comments, suggestions and questions, so do please message me or add them on the Hypnosis Weekly website, and I'll make sure that they are addressed, answered and explored accordingly. Please do share this podcast on Facebook, Twitter and anywhere else. Really help us reach the hypnosis field. My thanks again go to Richard Hill and my thanks to you for tuning in. My name is Adam Eason. This has been Hypnosis Weekly. Until next time, goodbye for now. Mm -hmm.